until one day I was braking and it would jerk, jerk, jerk. And then all of a sudden there's this big like, boom. And I stopped and I was like, damn, what was that? And I looked to my left and there's a whole drive shaft sitting in the lane next to me. And I'm like, oh, I hope that's not mine. This is the final call for me. The Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, episode 440. While it may feel really hot, Tampa Bay, Florida's temperature has never hit triple digits. In fact, the highest recorded temperature in Tampa Bay history is only 99 degrees. As my grandma, proud Tampa Bay resident, used to say, it's not the heat that'll get you. It's the humidity. The idea that learning can take place only by sitting in a classroom, listening to a teacher, having a notebook out and scribbling down notes, or having your laptop open and taking down notes is such an antiquated one. We know now that learning and education is such a multifaceted, amazing tool at our disposal. And that's what I love about what Oregon State eCampus does. They allow you to get the book side of learning through their programs. They have over 70 online programs that you can choose from, bachelor's degree, even some in advanced uh, degrees as well. But they allow you to do it while getting to be out in the world and learning from experiences, learning from traveling, learning from real life. One of the students, Kaylee Bickford St. Pierre, she did her environmental science bachelor's degree while traveling from Alaska to Australia, Hawaii, Europe, and Bali, and was able to get her degree while being out in the world. That's what I love about this idea of learning online. And at Oregon State eCampus, you can do that. They're ranked number five in the country by US News and World Report. And if you want to check out all the programs they have, you can go to ecampus.oregonstate.edu slash peanuts. Remember, if you use our link, we get a little love from the OSU peeps. That's ecampus.oregonstate.edu slash peanuts. Go check it out. Hello, travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, the show that teaches you how to travel more while spending less. I'm your host, Travis Sherry, and joining me today is someone who, after spending eight years playing at the highest level in the NFL, retired, gave all his possessions to charity, and whose name of his blog and social media handle says it all. You don't really, you just cut to the chase, Joe. Joe Hawley from manvandogblog.com. Joe, thanks for joining me. Huge welcome. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. It, it keeps it simple, right? Like man, van, dog, blog. Okay, what do you do? Well, I guess that's it, right? Yeah, it's a little bit of a tongue twister, I guess, but it, it does encapsulate all that I am. I got, I'm a man, I got a van, got a dog, and it was started off more as a vlog, but I'm getting more into writing now. So the video was definitely how I shared my trip uh, as I was on the road, but yeah, it's been a blast, man. Awesome. And I want to pull back the curtain for everyone listening really quickly. We get a lot of requests from people to come on the show and then we sift through a lot of emails. Um, but there are 
few people that I read about, I, I go out and I'm like, I, I see an article somewhere and I think, all right, I've got to get them on this show. And so I read an article on sportsillustrated.com just a few weeks ago, Joe, and I thought that exact thing. I was like, it was about professional athletes, especially, well, NFL linemen specifically, you probably remember it, of like what happens to their bodies after they stop playing, you know, how, you know, you're 300 and some pounds and now all of a sudden you have to be a regular human. So I read that article and, you know, it was interesting to me, but then I said, wait, there's this guy, Joe, going around in a van. Um, I, and I thought we're getting him on the show. No idea if I was going to be able to or not, but we reached out and here's the, here's the cool part for me. I grew up a huge Bucks fan. So uh, seriously, uh, I lived in Philadelphia. I grew up in Philadelphia. My grandparents lived in Tampa Bay. And so early, like late 80s, early 90s, laughing stock of the NFL. Everyone made fun of me. Like, Trav, why are you wearing the orange cream and white gear? Like they're the worst <laughs> sports franchise in history at some point. And I just was like, no, this is my squad. Vinny Testaverde is my guy. Um, so it was always my dream to hang out with Bucks players. And yeah, first it was Vinny Testaverde because no offense to Vinny, but there was really no one else. It was like, you know, a little bit of a backhanded compliment then. And then at one point I went to Bucks training camp. I chatted with Riedel Anthony, Jacquez Green, who's probably the skinniest debt player ever to be in the NFL. But I never got to hang out with anyone. Until now, man. So you're making eight-year-old Travis's dream come true. Uh, I'm so glad, man. That's awesome. And you got you probably made everybody else laugh when uh when they won the Super Bowl in, in the early 2000s, huh? Yeah, that circle. was that was the thing, you know. And now, unfortunately, you know, getting rid of the cool old school jerseys. Well, I'll ask you that. When you wore the you throwbacks. Those were cool? I mean, all right, yeah, I'm asking, I did as a kid, I still think they're cool now, but as a player, were you like, no, we do not want to wear the orange creamsicles? Yeah, I, don't, I didn't think they looked very good, they were kind of gross looking, and then like the creamsicle socks that we had to wear, I don't know if I actually w ever wore throwbacks, but I just saw that they got new jerseys, new uniforms this year, like the black and red, which look amazing, like kind of jealous, especially playing with Tom Brady, that's going to be pretty cool, Yeah, kind of want to go back and play with Oh, no, I know. Uh oh, we're going to bring you out of retirement on this spot. Is this an announcement? I've been gaining 60 pounds. I don't know if I can do it. <laughs> well, it's is interesting talking about going, going back and playing and things like that. We're going to get into, you know, transitioning to regular, quote unquote, regular life, right? Or out of the NFL. Um, but yeah, for you, do you follow the NFL a lot? Are you still kind of in it or are you someone who's like, I need to be a bit detached because. I don't want to feel that pull. I'm a little bit embarrassed about how, how little I do pay attention. I'm really kind of disconnected, especially right when I got done playing, there was a little bit of, of excitement to get done a little bit of bad blood. Um, the way that it feels like they kind of use you, abuse you, and then chew you up and spit you out kind of thing. Um, had a lot of injuries. I gave the NFL, I gave football a lot. I sacrificed a lot. And so I had a little bit of this bad blood. I wanted to detach from it. And I, you know, when I went and got the van and traveled the country, it was a little bit of like this, who am I without football? And I'm starting to get more into it and follow it a little bit more. Obviously, uh, this season's going to be a little bit weird with what's going on. Um, but yeah, I'm really unplugged with all sports. I just had my fantasy baseball draft last night, which I got a little bit more into baseball since football's been over. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, this is going to be my third year, third season done. So I think. You know, I'm going to start getting back into it for sure and start becoming more of a fan. But it's just so hard when you play 
and you're playing against all these guys to really like watch it as a fan or watch it as like, you know, someone that's not in it because it's really strange. But now, I mean, there's so much turnover. It's really wild. I mean, the Bucks team that I played with, this is going to be the third season. I probably, I'd be surprised if I knew five guys on that team. It's just that fast how, how much the team's changed. And like, I look on the ESPN now and like they're talking about all these players that I didn't even know about. And it was like, I just played three years ago. So it's just crazy how many guys go through the league. I do think that's one of the things that people don't realize from the outside is how quick and average NFL's player career is. I, I don't have the exact stat, but I know it's between like two and a half and three and a half years because you hear the Tom Brady's, the quarterbacks, the wideouts who are playing forever, you know, the name, quote unquote, star players. And you're like, oh, yeah, everyone plays 10, 15 years, makes their money, you know, this or that. And there are infinite almost amounts of players that you never hear of or just transition out of, you know, very, very quickly. So for you, it was eight years and you kind of touched on that, like you were ready to go at the end of those eight years. What was it like? Was that a growing sentiment, though? Like, was there a point in your career where you thought X amount of years in? All right, I see the light at the end of the tunnel. Or was it more of like a aha I'm done. Like I got to get out. Yeah, it was definitely a slow process. Um, definitely, once I I made a good amount of money, it kind of made it an easier decision. I mean, that's another thing: is the average career is two and a half to three and a half years. It's like right around there, like you said. And most guys don't make any real significant money until their second contract, which is after four years. So you got to play at least until your fifth year and actually have a good opportunity your first four years to even make any real money that is like a life-changing money or something where you can actually not have to worry about it but most guys playing grinding putting their bodies on the line playing three years and then they you know have maybe a couple hundred thousand saved which is not enough to retire on they got to go get another job um people just think you know you play in the nfl and you're set for life it's really not the case um but once i made my second contract um even then, it's not guaranteed money. I played my, my, my fifth year, got my second contract, ended up blowing my knee out, and ended up getting cut. So I didn't, didn't even get half that money. And then I ended up going to Tampa. And you know, my sixth and seventh year, I started. that's when I started realizing. Actually, after I blew my knee out is really when I started seriously thinking about it because it was my first major injury. I had total my right knee ACL, MCL reconstruction. And it was an 11-month recovery it was one of the hardest things I ever had to go through. And it was my only surgery I'd ever had in my career. And, you know, it's one of those things that you don't really realize, like, the game is so dangerous. But I was always, I never thought I would get hurt. I always kind of felt invincible. I had this, like, sixth sense when, like, a pile would be around my legs. I would, like, go into the fetal position. I'd, I had this, like, sense of when people would fall on me. And I had this, this freak thing where this guy, like, just swung around and just, totally hit my knee and blew it out and when i came back from that every single time i stepped on the field there was this thought in the back of my mind like well, what if that happens again it really changed the way you play and um so ever since then and then my body was adjusting to try and you know created this like imbalance in my body because i had to like adjust and not put as much weight on my right knee which screwed everything up and so that's when my body really started breaking down um, you know, I had bulging disc in my neck, torn labrum in both my shoulders, you know, my knee, knee surgery in my right knee. I dislocated my left kneecap twice. I got bone spurs in both my knees. And so the, the injuries just started adding up and I probably could have kept playing. Um, but it came to a point where, you know, I read this quote that 
really like stood out to me and I don't know it word for word, but it was, you know, most people spend their youth um, and sacrificing their health for wealth. And then they use that same wealth that they accumulated to try and get their health back in later years. And, you know, for, for most normal people going through like that, that's a longer, you know, time frame. <laughs> yeah. It's not Me, five I years like, out of college. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I like sacrificed all my health in like these few years. And it's like every year I decide to play more was just this exponential accumulation of I'm, I'm really killing my body. And I had made enough money. I realized, you know, there's other opportunities out there for me. I'm excited for a new challenge to do something else in my life. Um, there's definitely a piece of me that misses football a lot, but I, I came to this realization, like I can go play for a couple more million bucks or I can go try and, you know, live my life and try and sac uh, get my body back as best I can. Um, and it's still a journey. I mean, I wake up in pain every day still. So it's, it's definitely something I'm, I'm glad I made that decision. There's still a piece of me that misses it, but yeah, it's a wild ride. I never understand how linemen don't get hurt more often. Like I will say that anytime I watch an NFL game, like these, you're blind, you know, you're blocking. If you're an offensive lineman, guys are flying around behind you. I, I am shocked that not every lineman doesn't blow out their knee every season because it is that you have no idea what's happening. And as you mentioned, you know, I had ACL, MCL surgery as well. You know, obviously he was not a pro athlete. I think everyone listening knows that. Um, but afterwards, you know, I'll go play pickup ball and I know I'm not going 100%. Even if I think I am, there'll be like one point where I do something and I think, whoa, that was like old Trav, you know, but it, it's, it's like once every 10 times that I play because you just subconsciously can't get back there. And, and you playing at the highest level with guys who are coming in younger, faster, stronger, better every single year yeah it's a, it's a pretty slippery slope as you mentioned until you get to a point where you're like what's going to happen to me like not only is my body breaking down but am i even going to be able to give it my all and if i can't then do i want to do it right yeah yeah i mean that's one thing i would say that's the biggest difference between college and the nfl that surprised me like in practice is how like you know when people get injured it's because people are on the ground right and so in college if you ever go watch a practice, you'll you'll notice how many people are on the ground, like how many players like trip or fall just because they're not as athletic. You go to an NFL practice, if you're on the ground, like you'll get chewed out by all the older guys because that's they know that that's how people get hurt. So an NFL practice is so crisp and clean, and you can see like nobody's on the ground. Everybody's like just so athletic. Everybody just knows exactly where to go. Obviously, in the games, you know everything's on the line. It's a little bit different, a little bit more hardcore. Um, but yeah, man, it's uh. It's wild. I mean, there's a piece of me that still misses it, you know, still misses football. I still think about it at times. Um, I gave a lot of my life to it, but you know, I'm excited for a new challenge, new opportunities. What about the camaraderie? Do you miss that? Because obviously when you're in the NFL and when you're in season, you know, it's crazy intense. It's not like going to a regular job and then you come home at night and, you know, no big deal. Like you are with these guys and, and coaches on the road, practicing, you know, it, it's as intense as you can get almost. And then all of a sudden you leave that and go to normal life and you don't have that, A, you don't have that pressure, but B, you don't have that kind of, that tight knit group where everyone's working towards something together and, and kind of has to, right? Like you, you have to be in the locker room, whether you like the guy next to you or not all the time, but you're at least all working towards a common goal. How is that transition? Yeah, I mean, I played 16 total years of football. I mean, I played with a lot, a lot of different teammates. 
from high school all the way into the pros. Every season, we talk about the turnover, even three years ago, how many different teammates are on there. I played eight years with two different teams. So I played with thousands of different people, all from different backgrounds, different lifestyles. But when you go to battle on Sundays or Saturdays or Fridays, depending on, on what level you play at, you you just you all become like the same at the deepest level putting your body on the line all for a similar goal and it's like i mean it's probably very similar to to going to war you know and it's there's not a lot of things like that in real life where you have to really like push yourself past your breaking point for another it's not about okay like i'm tired like and so it's taught me a lot about my mental toughness, my mindset, the ability for the mind to push the body past its breaking point over and over again for the good of the whole. And you get to know people on such a deeper level. When you are so tired after a 12-play drive in the red zone in the playoffs and you like look at these guys and you can like barely get up and you're like picking each other up and you're just like, let's do this thing. Like, let's, let's go. Let's like pick it up and you do it for the person next to you. It's like that, that creates a bond that you can't really find anywhere else. And it's definitely something that for me personally, and I know for a lot of guys, it's the biggest thing missing in our lives. And it's one of the hardest reasons uh, the hardest things to deal with in the transition out of professional athletics, especially football. That's actually um, why I'm working on my new, my new business is going to be um, a community, an online community for former male professional athletes to connect in that way because for me you know going in the van and traveling I realized one of the things I was missing was that community was that camaraderie was the just having someone to support me who knows what it's like going through that because it's one thing you know the NFL tries to offer you know maybe like a maybe therapy or someone to talk to but it's hard to talk to somebody who hasn't been through it yep who doesn't no, really there's no understand. shared experience yeah Right. Exactly. So creating a container for guys to support each other um, and come together and, you know, because these guys that play in the NFL are some of the most high achieving, mentally tough, mentally disciplined people in the world that really, if they can support each other and put their minds towards these bigger goals and creation can like really make an impact in the world because of the way that they are. So I want to really bring these guys together. My uh, The community is going to be called The Heart Collective. It's going to be launching sometime this fall, and I'm really excited to uh, get these guys together. I think it's really going to be big for everyone. Did you think when, when you decided to retire that it was going to be a big missing component? Because you probably talked to people who have been teammates and then retired before you, and they, they'll probably mention, oh, yeah, I miss this. But did you did you think it would be a big missing component or was it when you went in the van solo, we should mention, like you went from, yeah, this tight knit community of guys being together in a locker room every day, all that to being completely on your own other than than with the dog. So do you think you needed that space to realize that? Or did you kind of realize that when you retired and saying like, I'm still going to do the van thing, but I know eventually I'm going to have to get back to some sort of community of people who understand what I went through? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I did know. I think everybody, like the guys that retired before me, they all said, like, yeah, the one thing I miss is the locker room, miss being around the guys. But it's another thing entirely to experience it. And, and I'm really grateful because 
you know, I was, I went through a big breakup my last year and retired and basically like my whole life shifted. I was basically saying goodbye to everything I had known, everything I had worked for, everything I had dreamed for, dreamed of. And, you know, I was just, I felt really empty. I felt like there was this void. And for some reason the road was calling me and I bought the van and I went and traveled. And I'm really grateful that I made that decision because it got me out of this routine got me out of my house. I gave away all my furniture and possessions to charity. I basically wanted to restart. And I went on this road trip for a year and a half. And towards the end of that road trip is when it started all like kind of crashing back in. Like, okay, now I got to figure out what I'm going to do with my life. I still have to find my identity and my purpose. The trip really opened my mind and I learned a lot about myself, but it still came to a point like I can't just do that forever. I have to find some meaning in my life. And that's what I'm working towards now. Um, but for some guys, most guys, you know, that I walked away on my own terms. It was still a difficult decision. Most guys, their careers ended before they wanted to. 99% of guys, they blow their knee out. They don't ever get an opportunity to play again. They get replaced. They get cut. They still have more to give the game. And so they're sitting there either, you know, trying to continue to make it and like this uphill battle treading water and after a year or two finally like realize okay i have to move on from this and so it's just and then when they when they're done they're in the same house they're around the same people they have the same routine but the only thing that's missing is the thing they love and so they have to be reminded every day you know they're going through the same routine they're like wait i'm just not going to work now and that's just that weighs heavy on people like so I think one of the big things that really helped me was changing my environment, getting out and experiencing different things and changing my routine, which, you know, I'm going to try and create a space to help guys in their transition process and give them different tools that I've learned about and that have helped me through the whole thing. And I think the biggest thing is just being able to plug in and have a conversation with people that are going through the same thing and not trying to, you know, like say a right way or wrong way, but just being able to hear each other and, and speak and, and process, um, you know, especially as men in our culture, there's not a lot of safe spaces for us to process our emotions or what we're going through, especially as a professional athlete where you're looked up to in our culture, in our society, you're supposed to have it all together, you're supposed to be strong, strong for your family, strong for your communities. So, you know, creating a community where guys can really come and just be vulnerable and express how they feel and support one another. Yeah, I mean, we see it in all walks of life. Obviously, the things you mentioned with professional athletes in the NFL being that kind of, you know, you're like a gladiator in some ways. Like people are like, these are big, bulky guys, you know, with feats of athleticism that most of us can only dream of. And, and you know, you're getting watched by millions on TV. And that just adds another layer onto it. But for most people, there there's there's this struggle of who you want to become or, or how you want to change for the better and then where you are right now and where you are right now might not be a bad spot, but if you want to change and you're still staying in that where you are right now bubble, it becomes really, 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 really hard, almost impossible. And that's why people seek out the communities, right? Hey, I want to be location independent. So I'm going to Trav's site and I'm joining that community because people get me. I don't have to explain why I want to travel around and, and have an irregular job because so do they. So like, you know, I'm not trying to convince someone of why it's needed. I'm just telling them, hey, can you help me along the way? So for you, when you did this, you know, and you're and you say, all right, I'm retiring and you're doing it on your own terms and you're telling 
teammates and, and people. Did you already have in your head that you wanted to do the van or or was that after you retired? All right, now I this is what I want to do. And then follow up to that. Why get a van and travel around the U.S. versus taking off to Europe or Bali or, you know, whatever. Because you at that point, as you said, you have made some money. You could have done whatever you wanted. So how did you get to the van idea specifically? Yeah, I don't know. It was like a slow process. I was um, my my partner at the time. We were engaged. My fiance, she had one of her best friend's boyfriends was living in a van for like a year or two. And I had connected with him like a year or two before I retired. And I was like, really intrigued. I thought it was really cool. And so I started like looking on the, on Instagram, like these van lifers and like people deciding to live that alternative lifestyle. And it really intrigued me. And I, I always loved being on the road. I've done cross country road trips. I lived in California. I played in Atlanta. So I've driven that a couple of times. I would, um, I just love being on the road, the open road, the freedom of it. And, and I think everybody that grows up in the U S dreams of some kind of cross country road trip, right? It's just, it's just this dream, this, this American dream for, you know, everybody I feel like, and it definitely was a dream for my, for me. And so I just knew, you know, I went through the breakup, let, uh, left football and the idea stuck with me. And I was like, you know what, you know, I don't really have anything to do. And I know, I have a lot of big aspirations and I want to be of service in a big way. And I'm, you know, I was getting into business and I wanted to, you know, try, you know, this entrepreneurship thing. And so I knew whatever I'd get into next was going to, I was going to give all my time and effort and energy. And I knew I had this unique opportunity where I had a few months, I had some money in the bank. I was single. I was like, you know what? Like people would kill for this kind of opportunity. And so I thought it was my responsibility almost to go take advantage of this. And so, you know, I thought it'd be really cool to, for a few months to go travel before I decided what I wanted to do next and go experience the country. I was sitting on my couch. I was following these national park pages on Instagram. And I, I had this realization, like, do I want to go see these places for myself with my own two eyes or do I want to see them through a screen? And I was like, and it all kind of aligned. And I was like, let's go, let's go do this thing. So I bought the van hit the road. I was only planning on doing it for like a couple months and the couple months turned into like seven or eight months. And then I was coming back to Tampa for the winter and I was kind of like, what now? And I told myself if I found another van that was more comfortable, cause my first van wasn't very comfortable. Um, why is that? What, what was wrong with your first van? Cause I, we could get into van logistics too. Cause that's always yeah. fun to geek out. Like what was wrong with the first van for you? I mean, you're a big guy. So was it just too small? Yeah, it was small. It was so it was a Ford E three fifty Ecoline like cargo van that was converted by Sportsmobile. It had a pop top on it with like the tent top, and so and then like I slept up on top where the the tent part was, and so I couldn't stand up in it unless it was popped. So like if we were driving around, it was like really kind of cramped. I slept up on top, and it was like kind of sleep like sleeping on a hard wood board, and so I had like this roll up mattress that I'd take, but I kept it up on top of my igloo thing. So I'd have to every time I'd want to sleep, I'd have to take the mattress out, pop the top, then lay out the the mattress, and then every time I'd wake up, I'd have to roll it up, pack it up. So it's just a whole thing. And so I ended up finding this second van, which is the the Mercedes Benz Sprinter van. That's it was brand new when I got it, fully custom by this guy. Uh, that's a whole other story how I ended up finding that. It was pretty cool. But that yeah, one was give way it more give it to us. Give us the story. We like a good story here. That's why we have a podcast. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was traveling, um, driving back 
from the West Coast for Thanksgiving towards my sister's house. And I was kind of, it was this point where I was like, okay, now what? Like I've traveled the country. I was getting kind of worn out. I had just gotten back from Peru and hiking the Inca Trail and living out of the van was, I mean, it's great. There's pros and cons to all of it, right? But I was just like, now what? I don't want to be doing this forever. I want to, you know, put something in. And so I was like heading back east and I was like, okay, like I don't really know what to do. I was like, if I find a new van, then I will, uh, I'll continue the trip. Like that's, that's what I'll put out there in the universe. And I was headed back to my sister's house. I got invited to go to this tiny house festival that was down in Florida to speak and share my story. I was like, okay, cool. So I go down there. I was like, I'll only go down there if they have van builders there. Is there going to be any van builders? Lady's like, yeah, there's gonna be plenty of builders going to be all these, all this stuff. So I went down there. It was a two day like festival event. And the first day I didn't really see anything. There was like a lot of tiny houses, a lot of converted school buses, but nothing that I was like, like it was, and it was a lot smaller than I thought it was. So I was like, dang, I came all the way down here. There's nothing really going on. And then the last day I went there, I went, I like walked to the back of the corner of the place and there was like the circle of vans, like a lot of them, like old, like VW buses that are like, you know, not any, they're just people just chilling. But then there's this brand new Mercedes Benz Sprinter van, like sitting there. And I was like, Oh my God, this thing's dope. And so I go over there and, and, uh, the guy that built it, Grant, he starts giving me a tour and he's like, yeah, I was like, is this for sale? He's like, yeah, yeah. And I was like, before even like blinking an eye, I was like, this is my van. I was like, I'll take it. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. He's like, this is a big purchase. He's like, we should figure this out. I was like, no, dude, I was like, don't sell this to anybody else. Like, this is my van. I want it. And I just knew. And so, um, you know, Grant ended up hitting me up like a couple weeks later because he was like, not sure about the logistics. He's like, yeah, he's like, it's yours, dude. Let's do this thing. And um, he actually builds vans now. I'll give him a little shout out. If you go to freedomvango.com, he actually, that was his first van he built, but he builds them pretty regularly now. And um, he uses all top of the line equipment. They're a little bit higher price point, but I mean, I've been in mine for a year now and it's amazing. It's got a full queen size bed in the back for big guy. It's amazing. It's, it's got the high roof ceiling, so I can just literally park it and just walk around. It's got the full kitchenette, sink. Um, it's got a, a pull-out fridge, the, plenty of storage, um, the swivel seats that turn around, and then it's got an electric awning that comes out. It's got a 30-gallon water tank. It's got a shower on the back. It's amazing, and it's you all You got it made. Right. You got it made. Oh, man. So, so that was like revitalizing then, essentially. You said, all right, now I got this van. Like, now I've got this awesome van that's right for me, that's kind of how I want to travel, and that kicked off another what, seven, eight months of, of traveling yeah. in that then? Yeah, I actually, um, he had said, I, I'm not going to be able to sell it for a couple months. And I was like, that's okay. I'm going to go down to Tampa, back to Tampa and, um, you know, take a break from the road for the winter time. Cause I don't really like the cold anyway. And my, my van was, didn't have a heater or anything. And so I was like, I'm going to go get an apartment for three or four months down in Tampa, kind of recoup, get everything together and then hit the road again in the spring. And so he ended up giving me the van a couple months later, ended up selling my old van and then hit the road again, almost exactly a year later from when I hit the road the first time I hit the road again in my second van. Nice. What brought you then back from that trip? Cause like you said, you knew you weren't good. Like, when did you say, I'm not going to do this forever? Or maybe you knew that right from the beginning, but what brought you to the realization of then saying, okay, this is a part or a phase of my life. I'm going to keep the van. I'm going to travel in it, but it's not going to be ultimately my life of being a complete van, full-time van lifer, we should say. Yeah, I think it was this transition because they're like the story of two trips, right? The first one was me 
trying like getting away from football doing this road trip and it was more of a road trip it was not more of like this van life lifestyle it was like this van that i was traveling in i I, I stayed in a lot of hotels unless i was at like a national park or a campsite i would stay in a hotel where this second van i could do stealth camping i could literally live in this van i didn't need to get a hotel because it was so much more comfortable so these two different experiences where I went on this road trip and when the road trip was gone, it was like the end of this, this road trip. And then when I got the second van, I hit the road, it was like more of this van life lifestyle. And I was more comfortable with being on the road. I understood, you know, a lot of people ask me that are like wanting to get into this kind of lifestyle. Like what, what, what should I pack? What should I bring? And you know, any advice and like the only, the advice that I got from my buddy that I told you about my, my ex's best friend's, or a boyfriend that traveled in the van it's the same advice he gave me that i gave other people it's it's you're not going to need as much as you think and just go and start because you'll learn as you go and you're not going to know unless you go try and the biggest thing and that's such a lesson with life right like we always get bogged down by the fear of the unknown and the only way you can really learn is to just start and i learned so much that first trip that second trip i kind of hit the road and i was a lot more confident in myself i went out there and um, you know, the second trip, I went up the East coast, visited a bunch of the cities. I had, I have a lot of friends that live all over the country as well and family. So I was staying with people and, you know, definitely wasn't this, both trips weren't this like go out by myself and be in nature the whole time. Right. It was like this, it was like a little bit of nature. Oh, you meet somebody, somebody over here, go out with them and just connect with so many different people. I met so many random people too. Um, through social media and through the blog and just randomly um, at different events I went to and the synchronicities of being on the road and traveling. And, you know, I noticed this, this just came to me. Like when I, like when I bought the house in Austin and just started becoming more like in one place, you know, it's just fascinating when you're on the road, how you have this open energy about you that you're just more communicated with people. You meet new people, but when you're in, one place for like I've noticed like after a month like I get in a routine and I'm not as open to the synchronicities of life because I have things I got to do and I got to go to this place and my routine and my mind I'm always like thinking about what to do next but when you're on the road and you're traveling and you're open and you're you're in a place that you're not familiar with you like you know ask directions or ask someone where to go or you just and people like come to you more because you have this more openness about you it's really fascinating to witness I have said that on probably 90% of the podcast episodes that we've done, right, which is like 400 at this point, uh, that same idea, and, and I keep trying to get myself to not be that way when I'm at home. And I'm super extroverted, and I'm really curious, and I like talking to people anyway. And yet when I'm at home, at my home base, it's like cursory, hey, how you doing? You know, this or that. It's friendly, but I know more about the guy, a builder down in Carolina Beach, North Carolina, where we just bought a house that I had an hour and a half conversation with, than I do have a neighbor two houses down who I've lived next to for eight years. Because when you're in it, when at least for me, and it sounds like you're saying the same thing, I think most Travis, when it's new to you, not not only do you put off that open energy, but you're just like, for me, the reason I like traveling, I'm so I feel so alive and I'm I'm extra curious. So it's I can't not talk to people. Where at home yeah, I'm curious, but I just, I, then there's something else that'll take my attention, regular life stuff, or I can go talk to my friend or we're going out to dinner with these people we know. And so there's like that satiates that side of it. 
And when you're new, and especially when you're solo traveling like you in a van, you don't have anyone or anything to satiate that. So it's kind of like you you need it, right? You're like itching to talk to people. So I, I feel you on that, man. I, it's totally a different mode. And, and as much as I've tried to say I want to bring that back into my regular life, you know, I think all of us naturally won't do that, can't do that, don't do that because it's just a different feeling. You're, you're a little more comfortable where you're at. For you, like when we're talking about identity and you said like now I was on the road and, and I'm meeting all these new people, but you had this break from football. I'm interested to hear because as you mentioned, being a player in the NFL, like that is something that if you say it, it's like eyes will perk up. Even people who don't care about football. Like they'll just know like, oh, this guy did something at a super high level. And it's something that almost everyone in our society is aware of, right? If someone said, oh, I'm a nuclear physicist. Yeah, you're doing something at a high level, but I... Eh, I can't really, I don't know what you mean. I can't relate to your day to day or what, what you're doing. Do you, do you on purpose not bring it up? Do you shy away from it? What is the relationship now that you have with that part of your identity? Yeah, man, it's really fascinating, actually. Definitely when I was playing, and this is the same with a lot of guys that are in the league, they don't, like, I didn't like saying I played because, like you said, it, it immediately you can see the shift in that somebody in the way they respond to you. And most of the time it's this like, Oh my God. And they start asked, I want to talk all about football, ask you questions about football. They watch ESPN. They want to talk about what the ESPN people are talking about. It's just like, they, they, they don't, they no longer see me for who I am. They see me as this object, this football player, somebody that, you know, it's very rare. Like that you'll say that you played football to somebody and they're very comfortable and they like, like either don't care and they're just say it. So a lot of times when I was playing, I wouldn't even mention it. I wouldn't like to mention it. Um, and part of that going in the van was this, this idea. And I've, I've connected with this now looking back on it is, you know, I wanted to be known for something other than football, you know, and you know, people automatically have this idea of who you are when you say you play football. And I didn't want that, you know, identity. I wanted to be known for who I am and, and something else and know that I'm just not a football player. And so going out there and, and, you know, getting uh there's USA Today did an article, ESPN did an article about me giving all my possessions away and, and hitting the road in the van. And I started uh, USA Today kind of opened my audience to people that weren't just football fans. And, um, you know, it's like random people started following me, random people started saying how they were inspired by me. And it really felt good to be known for something other than, football and you know people would come up to me like oh you're that football player but like yeah that's what i used to do but this is what i'm doing now and i loved that and so now i like i like saying that i i did play football it has a lot of perks it gets opens a lot of doors um it's obviously a huge part of our culture and society and it's fascinating knowing now that i'm done playing i can see how big it is in our culture it's really really amazing how many people love football um, so it's a great thing to use and discuss, and I'm definitely a lot more comfortable talking about it now as something I used to do. Um, and I'm definitely excited about challenging myself and looking to do big things in the world outside of football, because I know football is not who I am. It's something I did. And the reason I got to that point was because of, and this is what I'm going to try and teach these guys in this community is like, you know, finding purpose and identity outside of sport. Like you, you weren't really successful at football just because you're a good athlete. Like there's plenty of good athletes that didn't make it. It's just this deeper part of who you are, your discipline, 
your ability, your mental toughness, your ability to push yourself outside your comfort zone and learn and grow. And if you can apply that mindset to anything in life, you can become successful, you know, and being out in the real world now, realizing how, you know, when you're in that bubble of the NFL in the locker room with all these high achievers, you're comparing yourself with some of the best mentally tough people in the world. And, you know, you get outside of football and you realize like, wow, like I am very special for being able to make it to that level. And all these guys are even, you know, the people that weren't, you know, compared in the locker room, maybe like the lower parts of the locker room that struggle with that kind of stuff. They're still way above and beyond like a normal you know, person in society. So what is for you then, like, have you been able to keep friendships with people? You mentioned there's probably only five guys on the Bucks now that, that you even know, but like other guys that you played in the NFL with, have you found that those friendships ha- have lasted or is there not that you're not friends, but is there this disconnect because now you have transitioned and well, you know, I'll give you props here successfully, right? You've transitioned successfully to another part of your life where you are this, Hey, I'm a traveler. I'm, I'm going to start this project that, that helps people transition out. Like I have a separate identity that I feel confident in. Has that been tough? Because I, I know and I'm going to bring it to travel here. A lot of people feel this way when they go on a big trip. And, and I taught English in Japan for two years. And then when I came back, I was different inside, but no one could see, I, like no one could just see that with me walking down the street. And so then I'm trying to go back into these relationships with people that I had before. And it took a while to get back there because I was a different person than I was before. And they were maybe different as well, but but hadn't changed in the way I had because I had had this really unique experience that most people don't have. And you see it with people and they come back from big trips and they're changed and their life wants, they want their life different. And then they come back and they're like, I, I people say, I don't know how to relate to my friends and family sometimes. And I just tell them, hey, it's going to take time. Like, it's not that these people aren't your friends, but you're just a different person. Have you seen that? And, and have you been able to navigate that? Yeah, absolutely, man. I, I, that's why like, travel is so amazing because it leads to so much growth, getting outside your comfort zone, going into the unknown. You know, the one thing I really connected with travel, the first time I left the country was I was 24, I think, and it was to Costa Rica. And, you know, I'm, I have a really good meditation practice and trying to connect with this present moment and do all these tools and exercises. But when you travel and go into the unknown and go somewhere that you're not familiar with, it you, your, your mind can't project a future of, you know, you're in a routine at home, like we talked about, and you know what to expect. But when you travel, it creates this like acute presence. Like you have to come back into the present moment and be aware of what's going on around you because there's nowhere to project your thoughts and your future of where you're going because it's, it's just all so new. And that's a beautiful thing. And that brings you into the present moment. Most people never really spend time in the present moment. They're always constantly thinking about what to do next, what to do next. And so that's why I think everybody that travels, it's such an experience of growth and experiencing different cultures too. Um, knowing that there's other ways to think, there's other ways to live. And, you know, one big thing with my, like my family, for instance, my parents have never left the country. And so, you know, me for the first time, like going to Costa Rica and seeing, you know, how happy some of these people are, but they don't have like what all this first world stuff that we have. I was like, wow, they could still be happy. And so it just changes your whole perspective and your whole bubble in life. And, you know, some people, especially that haven't traveled and let's say they watch the news, which makes the world out to be such a scary place and they're so fearful, it is really hard to connect with them. And, 
um, you know, for me personally, it's, it is, it I've had a lot of resistance and I've had to do a lot of inner work to reconnect with my parents, for example, and, you know, loving them where they're at and allowing them to have their experience and knowing, you know, not trying to shift them or change them or project my experience onto them, you know, becoming, you know, worldly travel, well-traveled, um, real, will open your mind and oh, widen your perspective. And it is difficult to connect with people who haven't done that, who have a very narrow-minded view on life. And I think it really comes down to to loving them where they're at and knowing that these every everything, every idea, every belief system we have is just a story. Most of the stories are created by our society, or our culture, or the way we were raised. And seeing it for the stories and not for it being reality, like everybody's reality is, you know, just through the lens of their own perception. And understanding that and having compassion for it and loving them anyway is really the lessons that I've learned. Um, and it, it does take a lot of inner work and self-work and not projecting your ideas and beliefs on others, allowing them space. Um, really, that's the way you can kind of help open them up. Yeah, I know one of the things I struggle with when you were talking about that, this came to mind. And I, I don't think I've ever said it on the podcast or admitted it before to anyone, maybe even myself, is... I when when I came back and I felt different, it was hard to connect with other people. But I also then almost put myself on a pedestal. Like I was like, "Oh, you've done this. Look, look how you you spent two years living in Japan. Look how amazing you are." I wasn't wasn't that hyperbolic, but I remember feeling like, "Well, I've done this and they haven't." And and I even said to my wife, "Like we're in a grocery store in my hometown, and I'd see someone, and I was like, I don't want anyone to see me in this grocery store because they're going to think I haven't done anything with my life. Like I haven't left. They need to know that I've gotten out. And and it's like where I live is great, and there is." Great. I don't have to get out of anything, but I was a bit cocky. I, I don't know the right word. And it took me a while to be like, Trev, just because you did it, A, doesn't mean other people want to or need to, even if we, you and I would agree that travel could probably help almost anyone, but that doesn't mean they want to or that they necessarily need to do it or can do it. And it also doesn't make me better. Like it makes me a better version of myself, but not necessarily better than that other person who didn't do it. And that took a lot of, a long time for me to realize, to kind of get out of my own head and, and say, you're not really like you, you went to Japan, you got on a flight. It's not like you did anything that crazy, man. You know? Yeah. The ego is a fascinating thing and it plays so many games on us and it does, it creates its own stories. Right. And that's, I mean, that's the beautiful thing about travel. It really, it, it, it questions the stories that you grew up with and, the, you know, one right way to live or one belief system, you know, like I have a big issue with the divisiveness in this country through the political system, which is like, so, you know, when you, when you travel and you see other parts of the world, you can really like rise a plane above and see it for what it is. But when you are so in it and so narrow minded, you get so attached to these stories and these belief systems and I think it's beautiful having the ability to question these stories. And I think that's the key to changing the world and changing our own identity is questioning the stories of what we think is real and not attaching so rigidly to what we're told and, and what, you know, we think that it, the way it should be, right? Like none of us actually know really anything about anything. It's, it's, it's so open. There's so many different ways to live and experience and, yeah, I mean, that's the one thing, beautiful thing about travel. And I think traveling would help a lot of people open their minds. 
it's really fascinating. I know that it's not your main mission uh, with your heart collective, but do you think it'll be a part of it getting former athletes, let's say even specifically NFL players to go out and travel more or, or maybe I'm misguided. Maybe people who retire from the NFL do travel a lot and I just don't hear about it, but I know your story was written up because it was unique, right? NFL player retires, not that unique, right? NFL player retires after eight years, not that unique, but NFL player retires and decides to go live in a van. You don't hear that story. I haven't heard anyone else with that storyline, <laughs> hence why you're the first guest to, to, to fit that mold. So do you think that athletes and NFL players will kind of take a lead or, or could use that? And, and is that a little bit of what you might push for some of the development and transition for people to successfully do it? Yeah, I think, I think they do travel. Um, obviously when you, you know, travel costs money and, um, and you need time to travel. And I think those are, those are things that, you know, athletes have. So I think they probably travel more than like the average population. Um, I think what I do want to build into it, um, is a little bit of travel, mostly probably like getting out in nature. Um, you know, that's another way to question the stories of, of, of our lives and, and where we come from. I mean, connecting with nature is such a beautiful thing and, um, getting out of the cities and, and the stories and the busyness. And, you know, when you're going from athletics and you have this identity built up, you need to go figure out who you are on the inside. And I think reconnecting with nature is a good way to do that. Um, you know, I really love hiking. I really love, I'm, I'm going to get more into some multi-day hikes coming up this summer, uh, which I'm really looking forward to. So I definitely want to build in some kind of um, different events. Um, I have a diff few different companies that I can partner with and um, get out in nature and do these like, you know, multi-day hikes or retreats or summits and get guys together in person as well and go experience these different things to help them discover who they are on a deeper level. Yeah, because you're in a unique position. You're, you're what, 29, 30? 31. 31. All right, so you're three years out. So you're 31. You're retired. You've got enough money to, you know, to kind of do what you want and maybe not have to take, or I'm guessing not have to take a regular job. And so that allows you to kind of pick these passion things, right? And say, all right, sweet. Like, this is something I'm passionate about. Let me get this started. Let me run this. Let me invest in this, what, what have you. So you mentioned a few of those. I just want to dive kind of like quick hitter on, on what those are. The Heart Collective is, is the main one, and maybe there's some other ones. So let's start with the Heart Collective. What do you, you said it's launching this fall. What is kind of the, the aim of it? Is there, uh, you know, certain numbers you're attaching to it? We want to get our first hundred athletes in by this time, or is it a little more of, Hey, we're going to take this as it comes. Yeah, I think I want to build it as more of an exclusive community. I'm going to market it as like a higher consciousness community. Um, I want guys like self-development is going to be a huge piece of it. There's going to be a little aspect of spirituality. And I think that goes in line with self-development and just becoming a better person, becoming the best version of yourself. I really want guys that want to challenge themselves and want to have a bigger impact in the world. Um, if that's 15 or 20 guys to start and really create a strong bond and community through that, like that's totally fine. If it's a couple hundred, that's great. I think starting smaller and really creating a core group of founding members that really want to make a difference in the world. Like I said earlier, we as high achieving athletes have gotten to the pinnacle of one of the toughest things to do statistically in the world. And that's not by accident. 
So I think directing them, educating them, giving them the tools that I've learned about over the last few years to look, and it really comes down to, this is for everybody out there, it really comes down to questioning the stories of why you think you can't. And the things that hold us back are our self-limiting beliefs. And if we can get to the bottom of where those beliefs come from, because we're all so much more alike than we are different, and we create these stories for whatever reason, why we can't do things, why we're not good enough, why we're not worthy enough. And if we can really question those stories, and with athletes, it's, oh, I'm just a football player. I'll never be able to do anything after this. If I can really help them question those stories and empower them to use the tools and the abilities that they do have and the mental toughness that they have developed and give them a container to collaborate and create and use their influence, they're very influential people in their communities, and you know, guide them towards a mission of really creating impact and change in the world. Um, that's that's the big vision. That's really what I'm excited about doing. And I think by building community, and um, you know, I want to bring on different thought leaders, doing different webinars. Like that's the kind of deliverables and the added value. Um, but I think the biggest really thing is going to bring these guys together and allow them to create positive impact in their lives and in their communities and in their families. Yeah, it's so interesting when you said that. I was thinking of like a, basically a 180 degree flip, right? Of like, I'm just a football player. I can't do this to essentially saying, I'm a football player. Like, I can do anything. I've reached, you know, I, I've reached that pinnacle. Why wouldn't I be able to go out and be an awesome husband, do amazing things in business, you know, whatever the, the, the goalposts are that people, for I guess there's a pun that people are shooting for, um, you know, you've already succeeded at something to such a crazy high level that most people will never, ever even come close to reaching. Why wouldn't you be able to do it in other facets of your life, which is awesome. Are there outside of the Heart Collective, are there other projects that you Again, maybe maybe they're even, yeah, you seem like an idea guy like me. Maybe they're not fully fleshed out, but there are other things where you're like, all right, this is one part of it, but here's another thing. Is there other stuff rolling around in your brain that you want to do in the next, let's say, five, 10 years? Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely really enjoying um, investing in these startup companies. There's two or three companies I'm investing in now. Um, so I think that's a really fun part is being able to invest in people's ideas and i want to get more involved in that maybe get some more deals coming through um so if anybody out there is looking for money and has a you know pitch deck throw it my way um right now my main project i'm working on besides the heart collective is, is writing my book about the experience in the van um which is you know it's a whole nother challenge um there's and there's talking about self-limiting beliefs i mean it's a beautiful example for me personally when i started the blog and i hit the road and I had this idea of like, I'm going to do this written blog. Everybody's doing it. It's going to be amazing. I'm going to share my my experience on the road real time while I'm writing. And before I even hit the road, I decided to sit down and, and write my first kind of blog post. And I spent like three or four hours doing it, wrote the whole thing out. And I reread it. And I was like, damn, I sound like a dumbass. Like, this is terrible. I was like, I can't write. And I reinforced that I couldn't write. And I, and I didn't know what I was expecting. I never really writ, written anything before. And so I was like, you know what, I'm going to lean towards YouTube and do the vlog stuff. I'm more creative that way. And so I, I stuck with that for like the first four or five months. And then I um, read the book called The Artist's Way. And she talks about the morning pages, which is a journaling exercise where I, I used to have resistance to even journaling because I would write in my journal and I'd be like, I sound like an idiot. 
and I would always judge myself for what I was writing and how I sounded. And so I just never did it. And then her morning pages exercises is a stream of consciousness journaling where you literally just write what comes to your mind. Don't reread it. Don't edit it. Don't doesn't grammar doesn't matter. Nothing. It's just literally like getting to know your thoughts more and getting them out of your head on your paper. And there's a lot of different benefits from that, like closing these loops and clearing your mind and started doing that. And at the end of that, I started using positive affirmations to reinforce, you know, my beliefs. And I, even though I didn't believe it at the time, at the end of my journaling every day, I would write, I am a good writer. I am going to be an author. I am, you know, successful, like just whatever it was. And it was fascinating. Like after a couple months of writing, I just noticed my writing started flowing and I started being able to articulate my thoughts better. And that was probably a little over a year ago. And now I've gotten to the point where I'm, I'm fully confident that I'm going to be able to write this book. And it's just been really quite a journey. Um, it's still a huge challenge. It takes a lot of bandwidth, um, especially because it's more of like a memoir. And I have to like write in a creative way that I've never really written before. Um, but I'm really excited about the challenge and about challenging myself in new ways. And, you know, it's really, really amazing to, to, to put that work out there and share that story. Yeah. When you get the book finished, we'll have you come back on and we'll talk just about that process because we've had other authors on it. It's, it's always fascinating to me as someone who, when I was younger, when I loved the Bucks, still love the Bucks, but when I was in my real Bucks fandom, you know, I also was like, I'm going to be a writer. And now, you know, written the blog, we do the podcast, all that kind of stuff. You know, I don't really think I will write a book and I'm fine with that. It's not one of the things I want to do. But the what's interesting to me is now I realize the one reason I would want to write a book is not for everything that comes with it of like, I wrote a book, you know, look at me, it's on the bookshelf. It's like, because it would be hard, I want to do it to prove to myself that I could. Again, not saying I will, but we'll have you come on and we'll chat all about the uh, the actual process of of writing and, and how hard that was. Have you started yet? Yeah, actually, uh, I've been working on it for a few months. I actually wrote a whole 58,000 word manuscript and I'm working with a writing coach who has helped tremendously. And but this first manuscript, um, the way we we kind of organized it, where we like develop these prompts, and I would write every day. And it was kind of it took shape as it went. But I kind of basically word vomited all of everything. Like I, a lot of my football story, a lot of my life story, a lot of my childhood story, a lot of the different things I did on the road. And so there wasn't a like real organization or flow to the book. And I got feedback from a, my first developmental editor. And she basically said it's two separate books. There's this coaching book for that geared towards athletes who are going through transition and like sharing my tools, which is a completely different narrator and voice and story. And then there's this van life story where it's way way more storytelling mode, like memoir, bringing people on the journey real time and allowing them space to have their own journey right by, by your side, like through the experience. So there's these two completely different books that I wrote all kind of jumbled into one. So now I basically had to decide what book I wanted to write. I feel like I have multiple books in me that I'm going to write throughout my life. I just, I know that's going to be true. So it was like, which one do I want to write first? And I really feel like this experience in the van is such a unique thing that, um, you know, I can share. And I think a lot of people will really enjoy it and get a lot out of it. You know, football player, leaving everything in kind of more detail because I shared a lot of my story on social media too, but this is going to be a lot more like in the weeds details of what happened. And 
the the nuanced difficult part that I'm realizing with writing this style book is I I've grown so much through the whole experience like we talked about earlier. I can't write the book from my place now. I can't tell my reader the lessons I learned, right? I have to give them space to learn the lessons with me right by my side as I go. So it's very nuanced in that way. And it's something I've never like creatively had to, to write like before, like even journaling or writing, you know, my newsletter now or my blog, it's really real time stuff. But to go back, it's really hard to drop into those moments. And luckily I have Instagram where I have this like kind of timeline that I developed that I can go back and look at. And it was fascinating. Actually, I did that like a month and a half ago and going and seeing how much I actually have grown through my writing, even through my posts on Instagram has been really fascinating. Um, so it's going to take time, but yeah, it's, it, the process has been really, really amazing. And I think everybody talk about what you said about writing a book and the challenge going through that first manuscript and basically writing out my life story. Um, there's so much power in writing out your story. Like I uncovered so many deeper layers of who I am and what my story is and realizing, like we talked about earlier, like all we are are stories. We're accumulation of stories that we've lived out and experiences. And when I tell you my story, that's not like really what happened. It's my perspective of what happened in this moment that I'm telling you. And so when you write it out, it just, it opens up neural pathways for some reason. And like you start remembering deeper layers and deeper situations and different things that happened. And it, it really allows you to open up and create space for your story and who you are. And I think everybody, like you said, should write their life story out, even if they don't publish it into a book, because there's so much power and healing in that. Yeah, power in doing that work, right? And and I think most artists would say that, right? It's not about the fame or money. I mean, for most artists, it's certainly not about the money. Uh, but you know, it's it's about creating it and and almost like travel. Like, yeah, cool. We take a trip. I'm not saying, oh man. I got 17 podcast episodes out of this trip. You know, podcast episodes will come out of it, but it's about having the experience, getting to be a better version of yourself, pushing yourself in certain ways that you that you couldn't in if you didn't do that specific thing. Travel, write a book, insert whatever tough thing is here, that's going to help you grow. I want to give you a chance to storytell here. Question that I love asking a guest, your biggest travel mishap. So this could have been in the van. This could have been when you're in Peru. This could have been when you're playing the NFL and traveling. But what is you, for you the biggest travel mishap that you've had that you're going to be on the rocking chair, you know, 80 years old, grandkids at your knee, like, wait till I tell you this one. Oh, man. I would say, I mean, like I talked about earlier, uh, you're not going to need as much as you think when you travel. When I first hit the road, I packed everything I thought I needed. And I got a trailer, like a little mini pull behind trailer in my first van. And it was loaded with like all this extra stuff and like 85% of it. I never used the whole time and traveling in a van with a trailer. Like it's a lot restricts you a lot of places you can go. And a funny actual like thing that happened with that when I was, I was leaving Bonnaroo music festival, um, like two years ago. And I was going down the side road and there was like a little ditch on the side. And I looked down on my phone, you know, the big no-no, like texting while driving. I looked down on my phone and I kind of swerved off the side and my trailer swung off into the ditch. And I like barely saved the van and the trailer like hit, rolled over and literally one of the tires flipped like perpendicular. 
like kind of like the DeLorean does in Back to the Future, you know? And it was literally stuck there. And I was in the middle of nowhere and I didn't know what to do. And luckily, uh, like this construction worker, like power line guy was like pulled up right behind me. We took everything out of the trailer. We were able to like flip it up and like kind of bend it back where it was like I could drive it. I drove all the way back to Nashville. I ended up getting it fixed. Took like a took like a, a four or five days. Um, yeah, that's one one that comes to mind. Don't don't text. Is that the only accident you've had in the van? Um, driving through Indiana, which I don't know if you've ever driven through there. There's so many potholes. Like I don't, they do not spend their tax dollars on roads. I'll tell you that much. And so be careful if you're ever driving through there. Cause I hit one and actually blew, uh, one of the tires out on the trailer, uh, which is the whole thing. I had a flat tire in Sedona. Um, nice place to have yeah. a flat tire. It's beautiful area. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's beautiful. Actually, this is a wild one. In the new van, I was driving, um, and it was I had a, a ruckus, like a, a kind of like a Vespa scooter on the front. It was like pretty heavy. And as I drive, when I would brake, it would kind of jerk, like every time I'd brake, and I'd go down hills, and it was like a really heavy van, so it kind of like freaked me out a little bit. Until one day, I was braking, and it would jerk, 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 and then all of a sudden, there's this big like boom. And I stopped and I was like, damn, what was that? And I looked to my left and there's a whole drive shaft sitting in the lane next to me. And I'm like, oh, I hope that's not mine. And so I get out of the van and I look underneath and sure enough, the whole drive shaft is missing. And the whole drive shaft had popped off my van. And luckily I ended up getting it towed to the nearest Sprinter van place repair shop, which is like 30 miles away. I had to wait the whole night. Luckily I had a bed to sleep in. I had to wait the whole night for the tow truck. Ended up getting there and I guess you know, the, the two screws on the back of my van that, cause the guy that custom built it, like, I guess didn't really reinforce them like all the way. It was just a little bit loose and it would like rattle. And the guy was like, you're really lucky that your whole back end didn't fall off and pop off. And you're lucky it was just your drive shaft pop, decided to pop off. So yeah, I've had a few different things, but all amazing lessons and opportunities to really just be present and, you know, it's, it's no point in getting frustrated with that kind of stuff. That's the reason you travel. That's the reason you take road trips. They make the best stories. You know, they might be frustrating at that time, but ultimately you learn a lesson and have an experience from it. We talked a lot about what you have coming up professionally um, with the Heart Collective and all that stuff. What about personally? What do you have coming up in the pipeline? Do you, obviously, we're recording this during COVID. Hopefully when it releases, we, we've got more answers than we do now. But do you have either trips planned or kind of like when I'm ready and allowed to get out of here, like here's where I'm going. Like this is top of my list. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of places I want to see. I was planning on doing more international travel, um, you know, coming up before the world shut down. I'm definitely going to be visiting Australia, Bali. I want to get down to Guatemala. Um, I want to get into, uh, do a, a yoga teacher training somewhere. I think Guatemala found a place. Um, I want to get into Asia, into Thailand, Vietnam. Like, there's so many places I want to go. I want to go to London. I have one of my best friends from high school lives in London. Um, but for now, I'm going to continue to travel in the beautiful country that is the U.S. There's so many beautiful places that we get to see just in our own backyard. Um, I'm going to do some more multi-day backpacking trips, which I've been wanting to get into. Um, really connecting with nature. And, uh, yeah, drive the van around. Um, and I'm hoping that, you know, this thing kind of gets figured out soon and the world opens back up. Um, I know it's 
probably going to be different than it always was traveling and I'm going to be interested, interested to see how, how that all looks. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely excited to go get out there and explore some more. Yeah. If you're exploring the U S you at least already have your feet wet with that. You've got the gear, you've got the van, you've got the dog still, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. All right. So so you're still man, van, dog. Man, van, dog. There you go. (laughs) Awesome, man. Joe, thank you so much for joining today, uh, for making my dreams come true. Seriously, like as a Bucks fan, it's, I mean, this is great. It couldn't have been better. Uh, But more importantly, showing people you can work really, really, really hard for something, get there, walk away on your own terms, and still find meaning, purpose, er all this stuff that, that everyone craves in other things after that thing that defined you for a period of your life. Remind people one more time, and I know it's easy, so it's not going to be hard, but where can they come get a hold of you, um, you know, follow you on social, all that good stuff? Yeah, I'm most active on Instagram, uh, joe.holly. I would love to hear from your listeners. Um, the, the link in the bio of that is my newsletter. I'm getting more into writing a newsletter. It just started. So if you want to go follow that, that's going to be the best way to keep in um, touch with my, my, my book as it comes out and my thoughts. Um, it's a weekly newsletter and, um, my old website where you can hear, see more about my story of traveling the country is manvandogblog.com. I'm working more on a personal website right now. Uh, it's going to be joe-holly.com and that will all have be accessed on my Instagram. If you go follow me there. Nice. Do you have a working title for the book that you can like tease us with, or is that under wraps? Yeah, it's um, it's probably going to be Finding Freedom. And Freedom is the name of my dog. So ah, Finding there Freedom. You go. Nice. Awesome. Guys, we'll link everything that Joe just mentioned in the show notes so you can go find all that. ExtraPackOfPeanuts.com slash shows. Uh, you can also find it all, as Joe just mentioned, on, on his site. And that'll link everything up and keep you in his ecosystem there. Uh, Joe, I just want to say thanks again. A real pleasure to get to talk to you. Appreciate it, brother. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in today for your continued support that makes us the number one rated travel podcast on iTunes. And until next time, everyone, happy free travels. I'll show you Paris soon.